Welcome to the Why God Why podcast, brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. My name is Dylan Carnival, and I'm the Browncroft staff and producer of the show. Today, I'm joined by Peter Englert, Director of Adult Ministries at Browncroft, and John Amayo, the New York State Crew Director. Why God Why is a podcast where we ask 21st century questions about God that you never thought you could. Today's guest is Stu Dante. He's a writer and speaker whose works have been featured on Christianity Today, The Witness, A Black Christian Collective, and Fathom Magazine. Today's topic, why are institutions so patronizing towards young people? Peter and John, take it away. Wow. Well, here's the deal. I feel like our society has kind of a schizophrenic relationship when it comes to to young people. That's my experience anyway. Like on one hand, um, young people are kind of idolized in our society. Like if you look in magazines or, you know, remember those magazines or whatever they were, uh, Instagram, whatever, your, your images that are set to attract people are all young people, right? Um, so in one way, we kind of idolize young people. On another level, though, I feel like to be a young person today in many ways is also to be marginalized, to be kept on the outside. Like your voice doesn't matter as much. And and that's the experience of a lot of young people today. Um, and so that's why I think this this topic is really pertinent. It, it kind of goes across institutions, but I know we want to talk about it in the religious aspect as well. Like how does this play out in a church setting? Um, so that's why I'm super excited to have Stu here with us. What are your thoughts, Peter? I'm going to sum up my thoughts by just the cultural phenomenon in two words. Okay. Okay, boomer. Oh, you right, know, yeah. and uh, uh, oh, I hear and, that one in my house all the time. And, actually, and you're not even a boomer. No, poor but, guy. No, that's that's not the point of it, though. Uh, I've what? been told by <laughs> my kids. Well, anyways, yeah. But you know, I think that with this topic. I'll never forget what my friend Adam said about being a millennial. He's like, I've never felt like people talk more about me than to me. And I just think that that's powerful. And the guest that we have on today, Stu Dante, uh, I just think he brings a lot to this conversation. You know, he's played football at Clemson. He's got his master's of theology from Reformed Theological Seminary. You know, he's just, uh, you know, when I think of the word savant, like, mm-hmm. I just feel like I could ask him any question and he picked this question yeah. and he'd have a lot to say. And so I really became aware of him through some of his articles that he was writing from Christianity Today. I felt like every two to three weeks, there was just this, this awesome article from him. So if you haven't read his articles, please, after the show, we'll put them in the notes. You need to do that. But I think Stu brings a unique perspective from playing football, from going to seminary, from working at a church. Just from every aspect, I think he's experienced this question, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, let's re- welcome our Renaissance man here, Stu Dante. Thanks for joining us, Stu. Great to have you here. Uh, thank you so much. So great to be with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's dive right on in. This was the question that you chose, and um, mm-hmm. that's always fun for us when we have people that are like, "We're I'm really passionate about this topic. Let's talk about this one. Yeah. So that's fun yeah. on our side to have these conversations. Um, when we're talking about from your kind of vantage point, when we're talking about young people, right? Because everybody has a different idea of what young people mm-hmm. You know, what we're talking about in in that regard, you know, there's people all across the age spectrum that listen to this. Some are young whippersnappers, fifty year olds these days. You yeah. know, it's like, but <laughs> but when, when we're yeah. talking about young people, in your mind, what are you talking about? 
Yeah, I think for me personally, as um, you know, as I've been kind of like researching this year, because you know, you, we never want to kind of look, just lean on our own selves. Yeah. We want to try and uh, lean on some research. So I have uh, been reading uh, over the last few months. Um, Joy Challenger, uh, she uh, did her seminary work at Duke Divinity School, and her. Um, I want to say either her dissertation or thesis, I think it's, it's, it's one of them, uh, or whatnot. It's called Infused the Black Church and Black Millennials. Mm. And one of the things she, she talked about, um, you know, is, is kind of categorizing, you know, how do we think about young adults? Yeah. Uh, you, are, are they emerging adults? Are they uh, adults? Are they, you know, millennial, Gen Z? How do we categorize them? And I found hers helpful. You know, people, uh, I guess, categorize people differently, you know. Uh, but for me, when I think about, I think hers was, I think, 18 to 35. And I think others, like uh, David Kinnaman, uh, who, who's with Bonner Group, I think they did 18 to 29, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, for me, I, I like that as well. But also, I'm, I, I want to, like, move it back a little bit as well, because as a, I used to be a uh, middle school teacher. And, you know, I'm, I mean, I got sixth, seventh, eighth graders that I were teaching that for young people, I mean, they are like critically important as well. Mm. Uh, so, you know, for me, I guess, as I, as, as I've been wrestling through it lately, I, I want to think, you know, from like 13 years old, I mean, look yeah. at them in different groups, you know, 13 to 16 or whatever, uh, or 13 to 18, uh, or 18 to 25 or 25 to 30, uh, anywhere in that range you know, uh, of being in their life circumstances of being young, I think it, it, it matters from that wide of a spectrum. Uh, just because, you know, all of our worlds between those ages of life, like those, those kind of things, you know, 12, 13 years old to like 16 or 16 to 18 and then 18 to uh, your college years of 22 and then 22 to 30 uh, uh, matters uh, for us. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm thinking younger adults from any of that young people. Yeah, or younger adults anywhere from that range of uh, 13, 14 to all the way, all the way up to 30 uh, years old. So, you know, Stu, I know you well enough. We're just going to go in it because you already brought it up. And one of the things that I love that you're kind of talking about in in the year of our Lord, 2019, soon to be 2020. What are some observations that you have of being, and I thought you mentioned this, an African-American millennial trying to navigate, you know, not just not just the, the age difference, but also, you know, just the talk about racism and prejudice and diversity. How are you kind of managing that in this topic, not only with the research that you're doing, but also with your experience? Because I, I just think you have a lot to offer to this conversation. Hmm. Yeah, like, like I would say I'm not an expert. So for me, like, I won't be able to take myself with a grain of salt and I'll point you in the right direction to the yeah. right people yeah. uh, who actually have yeah. PhDs in this yeah. area. But firstly, you know, I think, I think that's important though. Like we have to listen to like people who don't have PhDs, people who have PhDs, uh, and because all of our opinions matter, especially when it comes to, you know, we trying to build, we're trying to build, a life together. So we have to hear from one else. So for me, I think I have over 2017 to 2019, I've gone through, you know, various church transitions. Uh, I was a part of a, you know, 
majority white Southern Baptist Reformed Church, and now I'm part of a black church uh, in a progressive National Baptist Convention. So, you know, I have gone through like, you know, ministry transitions and those, you know, that question would have been answered much differently mm. uh, given those particular social spaces. So I guess in 2017, if I was looking, you know, I would have answered differently than now, but now kind of going through that journey, I think one of the big, one of the big obstacles I'm seeing that we're facing is, you know, I guess what David Kinnaman would bring up in their new book, uh, uh, shout out to David for sending me that book, oh, yeah. uh, uh, Faith uh, for Exiles, you and know, may I give him a that, shout out too? Even though he didn't send me the book, I bought it, and it's a really good book. So people should buy that one. Uh, it's yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a really good book, really good book, uh, uh, or whatnot. So I think in in in, in their book, uh, in in one of the early sections on when they're when they're defining exile and, and digital Babylon as they as they uh, term our society now, uh, one of the things that they say that that the verdict is. Many of the older generations, you know, didn't, didn't, they're trying to give, you know, young people a Jerusalem faith inside of a Babylonian experience. Mm. Now, this distinction that they make between Jerusalem and Babylon is like, you know, this kind of faith that's just simply, I think, if I'm, if I'm reading correctly, uh, any kind of this individualistic, safe, you know, societal, uh, 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 relating to one another, you know, this kind of upholding the status quo, not really rocking the boat a lot, uh, versus, you know, life in Babylon, where, you know, I think Daniel White Hodge in Homeland Insecurity calls the wild, mm. uh, doing, doing, doing Christianity in the wild. And I think I would agree with Kinnaman when he says, you know, that, that, that the older generations, you know, had a failure of, you know, discipleship, uh, had a failure of formation, mm. um, uh, when it comes to, you know, asking, you know, the hard questions of our day and giving, you know, young people a faith that is living and not simply a dead faith. Mm. Um, that That's just simply confined to, you know, how can you repeat the language of old? Or how can you do this? Or how can you do that? And I don't want to blame, you know, the older generation. I want to be careful not to blame the older generations for the struggles that we're facing today, because in some sense, you know, the struggles that we face today is a reflection of all of us in some sense. But not all of us in the same way. Right. Now, I, I, I am not a person that believes in like the myth of the both sides, you know, of, mm. of equal, uh, 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 I guess, uh, moral blame, you know, for the situation that uh, we face. You know, the line of sin one runs to each of us, but some of us, our sin is more powerful uh, than others uh, as it relates to, you know, how that, you know, darkness in our own lives, our collective groups, uh, shows itself and expresses itself in real legitimate ways and real legitimate lives. Uh, and so I think one of the obstacles, yes, is, you know, the discipleship piece. But I think another obstacle, uh, we can't just simply say, okay, hey, yo, this is like the only thing uh, uh, or whatnot that's happening. Because in, in some sense, like, life is much more complex than simply one answer, especially when you're dealing with, with, with what we deem to be problems or issues. Yeah. So I think another issue that we're, we're, we're facing that would go in line with the discipleship piece is that, you know, a lot of times we're not, we're not giving space to like people that's like me and younger to like honestly wrestle with the world that they have to live in, mm. uh, to, to honestly ask questions and to be okay with us saying, you know, 
I don't know. Or maybe even we were wrong yeah. uh, uh, on, on, on certain things. And so I, in, in my devotional that I just wrote today, what was crazy is that like today is day two of the devotional and, and, and it's a reflection on young people. Wow. Uh, it tells the story of James and the giant peach where I was, you know, I was reading uh, this story of James and the giant peach. And it was this one, as I, I was putting my son down, I started putting him down at night. And uh, as I put him down, we was like, listen to audiobook uh, or whatnot. Just cause, I mean, he can't read. He's only 16 months, but I mean, just getting in, 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 in the mode of like listening or like reading or whatnot. So I started listening to James and giant peach. I don't know why I started listening to James. It's just random like, audiobook that came up, but like there was this one scene that really like, like hit me. So in this in, in in this scene, James is sitting under the tree, and he was crying. Now, now one can imagine if one knows the story of James and the Giant Peach. Uh, it's a story that tells of his adventures into the peach and back again. It's a narration of his journey. Uh, and in this particular scene, he was he was he was now with his aunts and. He was crying under the tree, and we can only imagine, you know, the pain and the struggles that James, as a child, pushed in that situation, you know, would have felt. He's he's pushed into an environment, you know, that is not familiar to him. He's pushed into, you know, an environment where he's blamed for the situation that he is in right now, and, you know, he just simply sat in a pool of tears and dreaming at this point of all the wonderful things uh, that all the other kids all over the world were doing. And so like, you know, for me, it's like, we have to be honest about the reality that there are so many James all over our world Mm -hmm. who are pushed into circumstances that are not their own. Oftentimes they're blamed and forsaking for the, the, the issues that they are, are facing and the weights of the world that are put on their shoulder. And all they have is their tears and their hopes and their dreams and their imagination of what possibly could be uh, versus what they're going through right now. And, then, you know, I hit that, that, that scripture in, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, Mark 10, uh, where Jesus you know, the disciples, they see all the kids around and, and then they respond very sternly uh, to the children. And Jesus just says quite simply, you know, let the children come to me. And he embraces them mm, yeah. and he points to them. You know, he redirects mm. adults to children. You know, that's that's kind of crazy for us because it's like, you know, in our society, it's like. Yo, adult uh, children, y'all need to listen to adults right now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so now we we call it, you know, young people a question of authority, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, which that may be legitimate, uh, but they may be questioning authority for good reasons. Right, mm. right. Because the authority oftentimes has been either illegitimately gotten or illegitimately upheld mm. uh, 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 for the wrong reason, for the wrong ends. And so... Jesus embraces these children. Then he encourages them and he empowers them. Just imagine what it would mean for many of the young people today in our society to be embraced, to be encouraged, and to be empowered. But oftentimes it's not the case. That's an obstacle for us. Yeah. Is that if anything, you know, the 
the the the kind of journey that takes is not embracing, empowering, and encouraging, but it's oftentimes you know demonizing, blaming, uh, uh, or whatnot, and then you know confining them to you know a space until they become mature uh, to kind of. Uh, live out their own lives and, you know, like protecting and, you know, kind of confining uh, rather than allowing them to blossom. And I think, you know, that's a huge obstacle uh, for us is that, you know, based on context, I can only speak for the context that I found myself in. But oftentimes, you know, one of the biggest challenges is the way we are trained regarding how to do Christianity, how to do mm. discipleship, what type of life Christianity should take form. So it's like, you know, if we're talking about race, if we think about race and Christianity, and this is simply on a educational standpoint, I ain't talking statistics, I ain't talking, you know, uh, you know, ideology or whatever, or even analysis. Just simply the practice of reading. Okay, if we look back over the last year and we say, okay, if we've seen this situation or thing to be an issue, what over the last year have I read to help me wrestle through? Not even give answers. Mm -hmm. Or not not even give like answers, which everybody gives answers in the sense that we need them. But like who has been helping me wrestle through particular issues that I believe to be challenges and obstacles in our world? And so if I look at, you know, I think this is what Daniel Hill did in his book, Wide Awake, if I'm not mistaken. He said, you know, like look at your library and ask the question, you know, who are they socially? Yeah. And looking very hard at that question, because it's a hard question to ask ourselves, you know, who are they socially? Who are they racially, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if, if, if I can say, okay, that the voices that are helping me, you know, wrestle through issues are pretty much the same voices, then I got to ask the question, what particular limitations do I bring to the table? Mm. So, you know, it's interesting as you're, as you're talking, because, you know, what you've set up is you've set up, you know, I love the phrase exiles in Jerusalem because, you know, for a lot of our listeners, you know, the Bible might be foreign to them and kind of what you're bringing up, you know, if I'm a Gen uh, Z or if I'm a millennial, I feel out of place, mm-hmm. but no one's invited me to the party. But, but John actually yes. has a question right now. Wow. Yeah. You knew that intellectually. I don't know you if I You just read my mind. That's unbelievable. <laughs> he's, he's good. He's good. No. <laughs> no, I, I actually do have a question. So Peter's very observant. I don't know. But uh, one of the things, too, that, that was rattling around in my mind, I love your paradigm there, right, of embrace, encourage, and then empower. I think that is a really mm-hmm. – that's a, a great paradigm. You, you talk mm-hmm. about pouring into the lives of junior high students. Man – that's amazing. I have a couple of junior high students in my house. So uh, I know that that's not an easy task for somebody to pour into the lives of junior high students, right? Yeah. But it's not. No, no, that is a that is hard work that's very undervalued, I think, in our society in general. Um, but when I think about that, I go, well, there's somebody who has spent a lot of time investing in this generation. What do you think? When you're looking at this 
generation coming up. What do you think are some of the things that are most misunderstood about them? From oh, the outside looking in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, <clears throat> I think one of the biggest things, man, like, I, I caught this, like, like teaching. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like my head banging against the wall with this. It's like, like that adults are always right. Like, on everything. Mm. Like, that is one of the biggest, biggest mistakes we are making is that, like, to be old or elderly or older or whatnot is that you're, like, always right on everything. Mm. And so, like, it's like these young kids are not dumb. <laughs> like, we may say that, okay, that they are more lonely. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the social media world and disconnectivity that we face with you know, our interpersonal relating with one another, but these kids are not dumb, right? Like, yeah. like these kids know what's going on, and I'm specifically talking about junior high kids. Yeah. Uh, but if we're talking about like people my age, I'm 27 and younger, and like young dudes that I'm, you know, like living life with, I'm talking about like I was not reading Tanahasi Coates in college. Right. Uh, if you don't know who Tanahasi Coates is, listeners, you should definitely look up Tanahasi Coates. He's an incredible thinker, incredible writer, uh, or whatnot. But you know, when I was in college, even doing my degree in sociology, I mean, we were like, like we were really like dealing with some good stuff. But like in my leisure time, I wasn't reading anyone like Tanahasi Coates. And so, like, these young people are incredibly smart, and they they don't even you know, in some sense, like they're not waiting for like adults to get right. Like, nor nor do I think they should. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not waiting. Because in some sense, like, as we're trying to like, or people who are older are trying to like analyze situations, like simply reflection, like young people, you know, their action is their reflection. Yeah. And so action then becomes the practice by which one is able to reflect on the limitations and possibilities of the type of form and shape life can take. And so like they're willing to, you know, ask harder questions, but also act while they're asking questions uh, or whatnot. And like, they're very brilliant, right? Like incredibly brilliant. And, you know, that needs to be, uh, uh, encouraged in them that their brilliance needs to be encouraged and it needs to be empowered uh, uh, or whatnot and, and embrace because we can't encourage and empower before we embrace if we feel like you know they are going to be a threat to us uh, uh, in many ways they are in a sense because like if, even if I think about myself like there were moments when I think about ministry like I when, when things are like not right or whatnot it should be questioned. And we shouldn't, in a sense, say, you know, like we shouldn't say, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't go to that place. You don't question or whatnot. You don't, you don't address that. Or even just let, let's take our time. Let's take our time. Let's take our time. But the reality is that as we're taking our time, you know, it's almost like, yeah, we, 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 we're out on the ocean and we're in a storm and, you know, we're trying to get to shore but we like, like, like one person is like trying to analyze what tools we need to do to get to shore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what yeah. so young people were like, you know, Hey, whatever we got, let's go. <laughs> I mean, we're going to, we're going to make it do with what we got. And I think that's brilliant. That's, that's amazing. 
one of the challenges though for young people, for us, is, you know, we also have to ask that question of our limitations as well. And so we can't just simply look at those who are either looking down and it's very important because people will hear that word and, you know, in some sense, it's like, you know, patronizing is a uh, bad word. But, you know, in some sense, like patronizing is a very honest word, you know, that we need to use, especially how young people live in various institutions where they are alienated. Yeah. Is that, you know, the definition is like, okay, it's apparently kind or helpful on the one hand, but betraying, you know, a feeling of or experience of condescension. Let's so uh, patronizing is very important. Yeah, let, let's On the one hand, it seems welcoming. Sure. But as we live, you know, the reality is that oftentimes it's like very condescending, you know, to us and to our reality and, you know, what young people have to offer and bring to the table. Hey, sorry, Stu. I just, when you said condescension, I, I just... I'm listening. I'm thinking about the student that sent this to their parents. Okay. So, you know, I'm thinking of some condescending things and I just kind of want to kind of, I want you to think about these phrases. Okay. So let's pretend I'm I'm a parent talking to my kid. You don't have enough experience. You know, you don't have any common sense, you know, you know, it's, that's a great idea, but that's too idealistic or, you know, You know, what do you say to the leaders that are in their 40s and 50s and 60s? You know, because I mean, I'll just be real with you right now. Whenever someone comments on my age, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on the podcast. I'm 33 years old. Whenever someone comments on their age and they don't have something legitimate, I'm like, you literally are not creative enough to disagree with me well. So you just picked my age. So, So coming back to your thought about condescension, you know, what are some phrases that you see people saying that you're kind of like, why are you saying that? Yeah, I wouldn't even think like, for, for me, it's not even like phrases, but it's way the way people relate, like their particular vibe. Like, like, for example, right? Okay, so say we have a, and this is a very real ministry situation. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to be honest. Uh, so I do a lot of studying and researching and writing, et cetera, et cetera. One of the biggest things, you know, it's, it's even, I, I, it's not even the phrases that get me, but it's the type of relating. And so like reading King and all these wonderful thinkers like Eddie Glaud or all these, just, just or theology regarding N.T. Wright and Rowan Williams or, like just Fleming Rutledge, Peter Gomes, Rob, J.O.'s Robert, James Cone, John Cowley, all these people, right? And, you know, when it comes to like, okay, hey, we want to become more diverse. <laughs> all right. We want to become more diverse. And like the leader's not doing research. Mm. But on the other hand, saying, okay, hey, we want to become more diverse. All right. That's one thing. Young people, incredibly gifted, smart, doing research, are living in a world that, like, older people don't even, in a sense, like, they care. But, you know, not really. Yeah. Like, like, in a sense, like, 
And yes, they have a lot on their plate, like leaders, and I'm thinking specifically leaders, pastors, ministry leaders, have a lot on the plate. Oftentimes because of their proximity to various issues and social spaces, it really doesn't, you know, it's not as important as the budget. Mm. Yeah. Or whatnot. Or if it is as important as the budget, the budget matters more because the reality is that if you go to that space, your giver is going to stop giving it and they're going to leave your church. Mm. And that's something we need to start talking about. Right. How many leaders aren't addressing particular issues because of money mm. or the fear of losing money? Right. I'm not going to get on that soapbox yeah. right now. <laughs> it's a but, good soapbox. We can have you back. That's, a, that's an entire podcast right there. That's a good going, one. I, I'm not going to get on that soapbox. Yeah. I ain't no pastor right now. Yeah. Uh, I've just been in experience yeah. uh, or whatnot. And some things may go on that I don't know. So I'm not going to get on that. But from what I observe, right. we need to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, let's do it. But the reality is that, you know, we have like ministry leaders that saying they want certain realities. And, you know, when it comes to, okay, I done, you know, you say you want this and I done did a lot of this research. I done look at the numbers. I done tried to come up with a vision, a plan and address issues, but it's like, okay, yeah, that was a good idea, but, uh, yeah, nah. Mm. Yeah. I, well, what about this? Or have you considered this? Or even like, you know, <laughs> I asked one ministry leader one time, you know, we was talking about race and, you know, white ministry leader. And I said, you know, hey, tell me about your journey on race. <laughs> and then it was said, you know, I don't think I have a journey. Wow. But then the same person says, you know, I believe race is becoming too much in your life. Who oh. said they don't have a journey on race. Wow. And so, like, it's stuff like that that just, like, is like, yo, like, we like to say it's out of pocket. Right. Mm. Like that's out of pocket, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, like you're tripping mm-hmm. for real that just be honest. Okay. I don't have a journey. So therefore I need to have a level of humility yeah. and faith to believe that you, the same guy that I prayed to six o'clock in the morning, the same guy that worked with the young people when they marching on the street. Mm. Right. And so, like, you know, we need to be, be honest about that. Like, 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 it's not even like really the, the phrases, but it's the way we, you know, perform how we think yeah. about young people, what we believe to be that which matters most. And it's like, you know, I never forget reading what Willie Jennings say, said uh, in his wonderful article to be a Christian in the lecture. He says, you know, we, we seek to change the world, not because Karl Marx told us that we should do it. Mm. But we seek to change the world because we believe in a God who has changed the world and changed our lives and invites us into that change. Right. The Pentecostal, and I think, you know, huh? the Pentecostal in me wants to say amen right now. So I just, yeah. you know, I just want to throw that out there. Oh yeah. I was raised Pentecostal. I'm still very much Pentecostal. <laughs> and so like, we, we gotta, we gotta realize that, you know, we don't seek to change the world And my, my undergraduate is in sociology. So I read Marx, I read all these wonderful thinkers. I, mean, I don't know if people would call them wonderful, but you know, what they were doing, you know, was trying to wrestle with the human question of, you know, given the system of injustice within our world, how do we respond in such a way that we can make life more human for more people? Mm. How can we create a more loving, just world? Maybe people was wrong for the right reason. Uh, or whatnot, and very if we believe them to be wrong in their analysis, uh, or, or, or whatnot, that's a conversation for another day. But the the point I'm trying to make is that you know, it's not, we're reading the Bible, 
as young people, and we are reading theology. We're reading, you know, political science. We're reading the best of intellectual engagement with our world just to put in hours and hours and hours just to have somebody tell us, well, you know, good job. Thank you. Right. But, you know, that, uh, yeah, it really doesn't matter. Well, let, let's do this. Um, Stu, I, I feel like I've heard three sermons. This is great. And, um, you know, I've been reading your, let, why don't we, with, with kind of our closing moments and stuff like that, what do you think the good news is to this question? You know, why are institutions so patronizing to young people? And I, I just think as, as we close in the next, you know, four to five minutes, you know, what, what do you think, you know, to the older person, what's, um, what's the good news? And then, to the younger person, what's the good news? Good news, and then how do we move forward? You know, I think that that's that's kind of a good way. And then we have a follow up question to kind of close the yeah. time in there. So yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think the good news is that you know, in the sense that we're still here, mm. that that young people are still engaging within institutions. Uh, that the reality is that a lot of our institutions are, uh, in a sense, at least generationally. Um, diverse in many cases. Uh, it, from a proximity standpoint, um, I'm not even talking about power, who gets to make decision-making authority, uh, whatnot, but simply that young people are still within our institutions given uh, the societal changes uh, or setbacks or struggles that they are facing and that we are facing together, that young people are still there is a great, great sign to both mm. uh, 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 or whatnot. Now, for me, I am not an optimist. I'm neither. I guess that's what uh, uh, Leslie Newbigin said. You know, I'm neither optimist nor pessimist. But Jesus Christ is the Lord, Uh, or whatnot. (laughs) So for me, I'm 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 not an optimist regarding the challenges that we face in our society. Uh, Just the reality is that you know a lot of the things that we're talking about now in this present moment, they're talking about it 50 years ago. And and how can we be so arrogant to believe that we are the people who can actually solve the problem uh, uh, that we are facing now? I want to be careful. I'm, yes, that's arrogant on one hand, but we need to say we can actually be the people who can change it. Mm. So we need to be hopeful in a sense that like young people are still showing up. Now, the challenge is that like young people, we are very much like, like we are very integrated for as far as like intellectually, we're integrated in our society socially and politically. So there needs to be areas where we can create a space of what Luke Brotherton calls shared speech and shared action. Uh, so we need to create these spaces where we can have conversations that are honest, where the speech that we have is what Brotherton also calls fitting, uh, 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 free, frank, and fitting. So we need to have free speech within these conversations that are frank and tell it like it is, but also fitting uh, for the situations that we are facing. So that young people and older generations are in the same space as, as far as proximity is is good news for us. And that, that, that tells us, you know, in some sense, like progress is never a straight line, mm. uh, but that we are showing up we, in some sense, can move forward. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be tough. But we need to at least try to do that. So all, and those who are ministry leaders, need, like like if a ministry leader is listening to their, this conversation, they lead this conversation, and the next week they don't hit up somebody young within their church, like, that is bad. Yeah. Like, I want to say that very, but right, yeah. that's horrible. That right. would be horrible. That would be 
bad. <laughs> like, yeah, like, it's like for real. Because like young people in your church, they need to have a voice. They need to listen. Right. Uh, be listened to as well as listened within conversations. And so we need to figure out, I like to say, you know, that the type of discipleship uh, that we, that is needed today is, you know, is a, is, is a type of discipleship, you know, that, that, you know, is creative, but also constructive, that's thrilling, but also transformative, mm. uh, you know, that's revolutionary and relevant, but also resourceful, uh, that's rooted in tradition historically that reflects theologically, but also is diverse ecumenically, uh, uh, that's also politically and socially democratic to create a more loving and just world for everyone. Wow. And so we need to be conversing between those various worlds, like John mm. Stott living between these two worlds, uh, oh, oh, uh, or whatnot to really think about how can we be better Christians today and tomorrow? We should actually seek to be better people right. as Christians. Yeah. You know, if Christianity does not make us better people, Christianity should make us, you know, our faith leans on two things, loving God and loving our neighbor. If we're loving our neighbor, we're trying to become better. Uh, right. And if we do that, we will be better people. So wow. I think, you know, that's good news for us. Wow. I mean, as, as you're talking, yeah. I, I just happened to be at a conference this past week and I was hearing Tim Elmore give a talk about Generation Z. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with his stuff, but um, he talked no. about this concept of like reverse mentoring. It seems like what your challenge yeah. is to like leaders right now, whether that's in the church space or other spaces, would be to take the opportunity to actually listen to people of mm. that younger generation and to kind of humble yes. yourself in a way to say, I'm, I'm humble enough to receive instruction yes. from you as well as to give instruction yes. to you. Um, yes. and there's there from that, we all grow. Um, yes. which to me, exactly. is, it's such a beautiful picture of the future. I think, uh, I kind of tend toward to be a little more optimist maybe than, <laughs> than you are, but yeah. I think if we lean yeah. into that, that could paint a picture of the future. That's actually a really, really beautiful thing. So, um, the, yeah. we have a, yeah. We have one question that we always end this this uh, podcast with, and I feel like this has been so rich already that I could have like a lot. I have a lot more questions simmering, so we're just going to have yeah. to invite you back sometime. But um, yeah. the question that we always ask at the end is, what would Jesus say about this? And so Peter and I, we always go first because we believe that our guests are actually better uh, at talking than we are. So um, so Peter and I are going to go first, and then we'll let you back clean up, and you will you can correct any errors that we make. Um, no, and, uh, no. So uh, Peter, you want to you wanna step up to the plate first and go for it? Sure. Uh, first yeah. of all, I got to say, go, go Clemson. Like, let's start there. That's hey, important. That's what I'm talking about. Um, so, you know, as I was listening to Stu, you know, it brought me back to Luke 2.52, where it describes yes. Jesus's process of growing up. Mm. He grew in stature and wisdom and favor with God mm. and man. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about Jesus, like, understanding our depression and our sadness, but Jesus lived through this. Mm-hmm. Jesus lived through relating to the older generation and younger generation and his disciples. I mean, I think one of them's John, the the younger, you know? And so you think about this, you know, Jesus positioned himself with all different groups of people. And the thing I'm leaving with this podcast from Stu is this, 
you know, I'm leaving with, you know, if you're not engaging younger and older people, and even if you're not engaging through reading people that don't vote like you, people that aren't your race, you're failing to be a good Christian. Mm -hmm. Because I look at Jesus's life and Jesus is with the Greeks. Jesus, his cross is carrying, carried by an Ethiopian. And like the writers of scripture thought that that was so important. And as we read the rest of the New Testament, you know, and in some ways, you know, I look at what Stu said, we're still dealing with the same problems. There were Jews that thought they were superior to Gentiles. And how do you combat that? You combat that by spending time with people. You combat that by reading your bookshelf should represent your whimsy of getting to know people that you don't know or you disagree with. It should reflect this gospel of inclusion and welcoming that Jesus lived. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like mm -hmm. that. You kind of hit on one of the points that I, I was thinking about actually, Peter, and that's that I think in the midst of this, it's important to look at who Jesus poured his life into. And when Jesus was pouring his life into people, like his 12 disciples were, uh, you know, that's not a knock against older people. Uh, I think, you know, in some ways I'm, a, many people consider me to be an older person now, but they were young guys that he poured his life into, you know, I mean, the last, yeah. I, and I feel a little, I feel like I, I have a little, um, I'm not as objective on this because in the last 19 years of my life, I've been spending, you know, with college students, like investing in the lives of college yeah. students. That's, yeah. and I find it fun. I love it. <laughs> um, but I, yeah. and I think, yeah. and I think that's part of the thing too, is that Jesus calls us to invest in people and it's not a chore to pour mm -hmm. into the lives of the next generation. It's actually a, it's actually a privilege that we get to do that. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, mm. once we start thinking that we are the one with all the answers, everybody just has to listen to us. We can't learn from people who are younger than us. I think we we fail to walk the life of Jesus. And um, I think that's the challenge mm. for all of us. Uh, I think you did that so well, Stu, challenging us to do that. Mm. But how would you answer this mm. question, Stu? Yeah, man, I, yeah, wow. Yeah, I would, yeah. I, I'm a seminary student, so uh, got to make sure my theology type. Got to quote some Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, man, as I as I thought about the scriptures, you know, two scriptures particularly is uh, I say three that I've resonated deeply with is you know Nehemiah five, Isaiah fifty nine, and um, Matthew nine. The back end. Of of Matthew 9. So Nehemiah 5 is when Nehemiah responds to the situation that his people are facing where, you know, they have spiritual challenges that they're, that are thrust upon them. So Nehemiah says, you know, when I thought this over, you know, I was very angry and I brought charges against the officials. Boom, that's Nehemiah. That's what happened. Uh, or what not with Nehemiah. He, he, he started over. He, he realized he looked around, you know, at, at the situations that was going on around him. He looked, he thought it over, he reflected, and he wanted to respond in such a way, you know, that this 
that power is restored, dignity is restored, agency is restored, and life is more is more loving and just within the world. Then Isaiah fifty nine is the same kind of situation, and then God responds. You know, mm-hmm. there was no one to intervene. I looked down in the situation, and there was no one to intervene. So I brought victory in my own hand, and we see all of this kind of beautiful, glorious language regarding the type of intervention that God brings and and the holistic reality of human life. Then we see Jesus. Uh, is the very embodiment of what Nehemiah and Isaiah was getting at. We see Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 9, at the back end of Matthew chapter 9, that Jesus went through all the cities and villages, and he preached the good news of the kingdom, and he healed all manners of diseases and sicknesses, and he looks around, and he looked with compassion because they were harassed and helpless. Mm. Now, when I think about what Jesus would have thought about that, as I'm trying to reflect on what Jesus would have thought about that, I think, you know, It's very clear, you know, Jesus saw that ministry and human life, ministry and message of Jesus deals with the whole person inside of their real world, in their real situations, their real circumstances, and that the ethic of the religion of Jesus should be compassion uh, among those who are harassed and helpless as we are the bearers of this message of healing, this message of freedom and liberation, this message of change in our own personal, spiritual, cultural uh, uh, lives. And so we have to look at the way Jesus responded to the world that Jesus was around and then the way that the world will be, uh, that we Christians believe, you know, that, uh, you know, beyond Friday is Sunday. Sunday is coming. And so in some sense, you know, we got to deal real honestly with the challenges of Friday and the social, political, uh, spiritual, uh, uh, private and public dimensions of what it means to be crucified and for darkness to, you know, crowd the land and silence of Saturday to happen. But at some point, you know, we got to hope people on to Sunday. Now you talk about Pentecostal. That's something that'll get me happy. We gotta, we, you know, we gotta get people to Sunday. We gotta get them beyond tragedy, beyond, you know, uh, 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 life in darkness. And I think, you know, that's what Jesus did. You know, Jesus allowed us, you know, to sit in Friday and sit in Saturday, but realize, you know, that Sunday is coming. And when Sunday comes, uh, you know, this train is moving uh, and you better hop on this train. And, and we want to hop on that train to glory, like, you know, much of the gospel songs and spirituals will say. And I think, you know, when we think about Jesus, we have to realize that we have to uh, preach and live and mobilize and educate and allow participation and make room where that encouragement, where that embrace, where that empowerment can take place in real ways that are both thrilling mm. and transformative, like I said earlier. So Christian life should be thrilling in a sense of like, you know, it's like what Rowan Williams says, you know, uh, uh, he says in his book, Being Disciples, that to be a disciple is to have two things, awareness and expectancy. Mm. To be an awareness of, you know, how to read, you know, our world in light of God, but also God in light of our world. So when we look at scripture, that story is our story. In that story, we see ourselves. Uh, but also, how can we be aware of those around us, but also expectant? Mm. That when we look with an eye of awareness, we will see God at work in our world. Like Fred Rogers, you know, the Holy Spirit is always pointing us to places where God is active in our world. So we should be that way as well. 
there is no better way to close this podcast than Fred Rogers. So I, uh, I just love that. So if you are listening to this podcast, make sure you check out our website at whygodwhypodcast.com. Um, if you're looking at this, we've, you know, we, you can follow Stu on Instagram, Twitter, um, right now that we're recording this before Christmas, he has an advent out. This will probably air in January. So we want you to do that. Remember to, uh, review the podcast on Apple iTunes. That helps more people find us. Remember sharing is caring. And, uh, from the rest of us here at the Why God Why podcast, this is Peter Englert signing off for John Amayo. Dylan Carnival and Stu Dante. Thank you so very much. Have a great day. Bye-bye.